Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to this time of worship. And whether you are a part of Sellersburg United Methodist Church, whether you are gathering with us from near or from afar, we welcome you and we are so grateful to be with you at this time. We are excited that beginning next Sunday, we will be resuming in-person worship. It's going to look a lot different than we're used to, but we're going to receive in-person worship. And but we will continue to do this, to do exactly what we've been doing the last several weeks we will continue to do going forward uh, for a while until we get to the point where all in-person services can resume and we may still just keep doing these kinds of things because it's great to gather with you and maybe you don't live in Sellersburg, maybe you don't live in Indiana, but you've enjoyed being a part of this community and we've loved having you. And so we want to continue to extend that offer and as we gather today, going to bring in a couple verses, a couple passages from scripture that are given to us by our lectionary, but I I so enjoy seeing how the lectionary readings speak to one another and reveal things in one another that might not otherwise have been revealed. And so we're going to hear from a prophet today, Zechariah, and we're going to hear from a gospel writer that we call Matthew. And I'm going to start with a a bit of a uh, well, a, a movie image. Um, actually, it's a book. Those who've, who've read the book Les Miserables or probably, you know, probably think, that's this not a movie, it's a book, come on. But I've seen the movie. <laughs> I, I'm really only patient enough for the movie. I, I hear the book is humongous. And so if you haven't seen the movie, I invite you to go see it. And there are a few different versions out there, musicals and non-musicals. I prefer the Liam Neeson version, but it's the only one I've seen. I wanna start with the image from the movie of the character and what happens in the movie and then move into these passages to hear the invitation that we are extended through Jesus Christ to receive the same kind of grace that the character in the movie receives in this uh, wonderful movie. So let us pray together. Let us prepare ourselves and let us invite God to speak in our hearts and souls this day. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you that we are gathered here and we're gathered together in new ways all the time. As we come together to hear from Scripture, to hear from you, we come ready to be molded and shaped as you would mold and shape us. Help us to lay aside our preconceived notions, our expectations, our worries. Help us to set aside whatever it is that we're, we have planned today or tomorrow that we're already starting to think about. Help us to just lay that aside and trust that it's not going anywhere, that we can just wholly come to you. Lord, I ask that you bless what is presented, what has been prepared. Speak through me in spite of me. And bless each of us 
as we hear. Bless our hearing that you may speak to us in spite of us. And all that we hear and all that we allow to change and become a part of us, Lord, may it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in Les Miserables, there's a character named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean, uh, as a young man, stole bread. And from that incident, and this is in 18th century France, right before the French Revolution, this is, this is a day far removed from our own. But for that offense, he is taken to hard labor in prison for years. And he is labeled a convict. He broke the law. When he gets out of prison in that non-digitized system of 18th century France, he is given papers that identify who he is. And so anywhere he goes, he presents his papers and he is supposed to go to a certain place after his imprisonment to carry his papers. But on his ventures, he spends a night at a church and encounters a priest. And as he, Jean Valjean clearly presents himself, I'm a convict, you know, and just need a little help. The priest seems uninterested in viewing Jean Valjean as a convict. And he yet speaks to Jean Valjean and welcomes him like he is a human being talks to him like he's worthy. It's not something Jean Valjean has experienced in some time. And then when an incident occurs, see Jean Valjean stole from the priest, stole a bunch of silver. And when he gets caught by the authorities and taken back to the priest, because Jean Valjean has told the authorities that the priest gave him the silver. So they come back to prove Jean Valjean wrong, because of course he's just a convict, of course he's a liar. They can throw him back in prison and that will probably be the rest of his life. But the priest does something quite unexpected in an act of great grace. Backs up Jean Valjean. Yeah, I did give it to him. Of course I did. Dismisses the authorities because there's no need for them. Jean Valjean has done nothing wrong, according to the priest's testimony. And in shock, Jean Valjean, not knowing what to do, hears from the priest who makes it very clear that Jean Valjean is first and foremost and only a child of God and is invited to live into that identity and to leave the identity of a convict behind. Grace offered, Jean Valjean accepts. Moves off to a place by a different name, not being identified by his papers and becomes a, a quite prominent figure, a loving, gracious man who extends grace to others abundantly gains a great reputation until somebody who worked in the prison back when Jean Valjean was in prison ends up coming to the town for one reason or another and recognizes Jean Valjean, knows who he truly is, at least according to the eyes of the law and according to the eyes of the character Javert, and then commits his life to exposing Jean Valjean to, to his identity as the world would define it, completely ignoring any other identity. And that's the dilemma of the movie. So I've summed up a good portion of the, of the plot to you. There's a lot more that happens. What we find from the story is a truth that grace often comes in ways we don't expect. Grace comes and offers us truths that we're not expecting. And so we're going to come to Zechariah 9, and we're going to see an image that's given to a lost people in exile as they are awaiting 
God to, to move and act on their behalf. They are oppressed, they are powerless, they are humiliated, and they are longing for the day when God will set things right. And so Zechariah speaks of the king of God coming. And this is how Zechariah describes it in chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king will come to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the offspring of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. The bow used in battle will be cut off. He will speak peace to the nations. His rule will stretch from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Moreover, by the blood of your covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold prisoners of hope. Moreover, declare today that I will return double to you. It's a great word of hope that is offered through the prophets and describing a king that's probably much different than they envisioned or hoped for. They're oppressed. They're, run by, they're ruled by powerful people. They want to see their own power. They want to see their own king. They want to be the great nation that every nation longs to be. And yet they're given the image of not a powerful king. I mean, he is powerful, but not the way you would expect. This king doesn't come to rule and govern and, and dominate. This king comes to be humble and gentle. And so the image is not on a great war horse like you would expect, but rather on the foal of a donkey. And so a way for us to understand this in our terms is instead of riding in on a tank or a Humvee, the king will ride in on a tractor. A red tractor, I would imagine. I'm a John Deere guy, but come on, international harvester, that just seems like Jesus, doesn't it? <laughs> Theological joke, very bad, just excuse me for that. The donkey is a, a farm tool. It's an equipment upon which you, you, you work. It tills the fields, plants, harvests, it grinds the grain, you carry loads. It's, it's a work animal not an animal of domination. And so the king of God is going to look quite different than they expect. They will have their peace. They will have everything that's been promised, but it will not look like they expect. Now, imagine if we had a visit of God's king today. Is this be what we would expect to see? Um, we probably have a different image in our mind. We, we uphold the ideas of power and greatness and in completely different ways than God. So, are we okay with that? Or do we find it scandalous and controversial as the people did at the time of Zechariah? So the story of Jesus of Nazareth becoming a king, when he rides in, he rides in on the foal of a donkey, specifically to evoke the image of Zechariah to make a point about what Jesus has come to do. He is the king, but not the king they expect. He's marching to his throne, but the throne is not a chair, it's a cross. Completely the unexpected. So, we take this kind of baffling imagery compared to what we often picture as power and greatness today versus what God does, and we bring it to the Gospel of Matthew. And so, we go to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 16 through 19, and then 25 through 29. It is written, to what will I compare this generation? It is like a child sitting in the marketplace is calling out to others. 
We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a funeral song and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. Yet the human one came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved to be right by her works. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and you have shown them to babies. Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness. My Father has handed all things over to me. No one knows the Son except the Father, and nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This passage comes at a point in the gospel where the idea of kingdoms kind of being honed in. Now what's happened right before is Jesus has sent the 12 disciples in pairs to go and preach and do what he's been doing, to do the good deeds that he's been doing amongst the towns in Galilee. And while they're gone, John the Baptist has sent disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus a question. Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another? Now the, the foundation of that question comes from John's doubt. John hears about the good deeds, the works of Jesus, and it's not what he expected. And so he wonders, are you not the one? Part of the works that John may have expected was to be released from prison. He is Jesus' cousin after all, yet there he sits in prison. And Jesus is supposed to be this great king that's coming to, to change everything. But everything looks quite the same from John's perspective. And so Jesus offers a different perspective to the disciples that come to ask him the question. To respond to, are you the one? Jesus says, tell John what you see. The, bl the lame, tell John what you see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the powerless have good news brought to them. It's not what they expected, I imagine. It's not what John was gonna be expecting to hear. But Jesus is alluding to scripture. He's alluding to Isaiah. And he knows John will probably start to catch on to that and maybe accept that invitation of this grace and reshape his thinking to conform with what's actually happening. The wisdom that is occurring right around him, the good deeds of wisdom that's happening, that's vindicating the truth about who Jesus is. So everywhere Jesus went, Jesus is not recognized for doing the good deeds by, by, by somebody. Somebody's always finding something wrong with it. So, he illuminates that. He's referring to the religious authorities more than anybody else, but they aren't alone. He calls out with a, with a fable of sorts. You know, the children, or it's like children crying in the street into the town. Hey, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We, so we mourned for you and, and you didn't cry. So are you not going to do what you're supposed to do? Jesus says, look, John came, neither eating or drinking, and they had a problem with that. I came eating and drinking, and they have a problem with that. It seems that they're just going to look for problems to have. So to John, they might say, look, John, you're, you're a little too ju judgment and fire for our taste. Can you lighten up, right? You seem a little demon-possessed. 
And then to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, look, you are spending way too much time with the wrong sorts of people. And you're doing the things you shouldn't be doing. You're healing on the Sabbath for crying out loud. Have some respect for our traditions and practices, Jesus. Come on. And this kind of thing is familiar, yes. This whatever happens, somebody's got a problem with it. That's just kind of our culture. Everywhere, everybody. Somebody's got an issue with whatever happens, right? Everywhere we look, people are finding reasons to have a problem with something, to dismiss it, to discredit it, to label it, something that makes them look better and, and others look bad. So, so something happens and it's either too conservative or it's too liberal or it's too disrespectful or it's too violent or this is too whatever. You fill in the blank. And we can't even wear masks without it being a problem. Well, you wear a mask, so you're a prisoner of fear. Well, you don't wear a mask, so you must hate me. <laughs> Are you with me, church? Do you feel it? Do you, do you sense that really none of us are pleased because we keep finding problems with everything? None of us are pleased. It's maddening for all of us. It's maddening for everyone. It's maddening for those who are left. It's maddening for those who are right, those who are up or down or upside down or inside out. It's, it's exhausting. We're tired. Are we ready for something different? Can I get an amen? We're all worn out with this incessant dichotomy uh, that either there's just one thing that's right and everything else is wrong. So you either fit into what we think or you're just completely wrong. And we are so sure that we know what is right, that when something right comes along that doesn't fit into our expectation, we label it wrong, even if it's right, just like John the Baptist is doing in the passage. He can't see that what these deeds that he hears about happening it leads him to question if Jesus is the one. These good deeds, these wise deeds, he doesn't see it. It's not because of the deeds, it's because of John. We look at things today and we have lots of issues. Well, maybe we have a part to play in this. Maybe we see wise things happening and we find reasons to dismiss them. Amen? Or is it just me? I don't think so. Friends, we all do this. I mean... If we consider the fact that the religious experts, those who knew God's word the best in Jesus' day, looked at the Son of God, the word of God in flesh, and completely missed it, that if that happened, there's a chance that we're missing stuff too. Yeah? A chance. Because we plant our flags, and we take our stances. We dig our heels in, and we get entrenched. And we are ready to fight. And... Are we finding joy with this? Are we finding rest for our souls in this kind of deed? We're all burdened. Every single person's burdened by this. Doesn't matter what side you're on. Doesn't matter if you're not even in the fight. You're burdened by watching the fight. We're all suffering. Well, not everybody. Not everybody's suffering. Not everyone is burdened by this. Can you find me one child, one small child, who cares about who you vote for? Can you find one person on the margins, one person who has no power, who has no say? Can you, can you go to them and offer a hand of love and generosity and they're gonna turn you down because you don't think a certain way on a certain topic? That you don't follow a certain tradition in, in a particular fashion? Chances are no, that's not gonna happen. They don't care. So Jesus goes on in this, in this time in his ministry 
when everyone's missing it because they're so focused on fighting. And in a time like the one we're experiencing now, Jesus could have prayed a lot of things, but he prays a prayer of thanks. He thanks God that the wise and intelligent are, are missing it, but that God is revealing God's self to the innocents, to the babies, the infants, to the helpless, to the powerless. And then he extends the invitation to the powerless in, in a very famous passage. And I'll read it again. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is celebrating that in the midst of the worldly, religiously, and politically wise people, they're, they're missing the gift. They're missing it. He offers thanks. Where they have gotten it wrong, the lowly pariahs, the untouchables, the sinners, the tax collectors, the convicts, the thugs, they are opening themselves to God's way. In the most unexpected turn of events, they are the ones. They are the least concerned with the details of how traditions are followed. They don't care how we define a particular problem, person, or practice. They're interested in justice, love, grace. The innocents, the powerless, the infants, they are perceiving an entirely new way of life that Jesus is offering, a way of life where there is no have and have not. They are longing for that. They are the ones now holding the hope where things will finally be right. And when things start to be right and those good deeds that Jesus is doing then and the good deeds that are happening now, they recognize them, where many of us miss it. In a society that pours injustice upon them, these innocents, pours regulations and laws and demands for allegiance, pours labels upon them, pours disgust upon them, we could sum it all up what's poured upon them, and it's burden. It's a religious word that we find in today's passage, burden. It means there's this list of duties and things you're supposed to do. You're supposed to check them off your list. You're supposed to never, never break one of the codes, the purity codes. You're, you've got to make sure you do everything right. You look, you dress, you eat, you think, you wash your hands, everything exactly the, a particular way, and before you know it, you can't even step outside of your house without having broken some sort of purity code. And so you're constantly in stress and worry that you're not gonna be able to live up. You're constantly thinking, I'm never gonna measure up. God could never love me because I'm not perfect. And so this great and beautiful faith that's supposed to be life-giving actually becomes a weight weighing you down and burdening you. And that's what many of the powerless carry today. Jesus offers them something different. The word yoke, in Jewish words, it, it's a rabbinical word. So every rabbi has a yoke, and the yoke is a particular perspective or focus, interpretation, or approach to Torah. So some rabbis will be focused more on prayer, 
being in prayer and praying for God. Some will be focused on social justice. Some will be focused on learning the law and, and educating yourself. Some will be focused on following the purity codes. Jesus is focused on God's grace and love being poured out in what he describes as the coming of God's reign upon the earth, the new reality happening. All that's been foretold in scripture, Jesus is ushering in and trying to get people to understand in his yoke. So he offers that. He offers that yoke, not about letting duties govern your life, but letting love govern your life, letting grace govern your life. Jesus says, yeah, there are lots of laws, but, and they're all good. But how, how about you, you can sum it all up this way, if you need a simple way. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, then the wise and intelligent, right? We would, we would dissect that. We would say, well, who do we love? Can you tell me who it is I'm supposed to love? Because that'll also tell me who I'm not supposed to love. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're, you're doing it again. You're making it about right and wrong. You're, you're splitting it up. You're, you're fighting here. No, no, don't worry about who you should love. Don't worry about who your neighbor is. Be the neighbor. That's my yoke. You don't have to worry about who your neighbor is and who it is. Just be the neighbor. Be the neighbor to everyone. Love in all that you do. Accept grace that's extended to you and extend it to others in all that you do. And so for this neighbor, it might look one way. And for that neighbor, it might look another way. Yeah, that's true, Jesus would say. It's going to look different with each situation and each person. That's the beauty of my yoke. It's not cut and dry. You go in and you figure out how to do it. And I'll be with you. So grace works in this most unexpected way. There are plenty of people who need the grace and love of Jesus Christ today. Jesus describes them as innocents, as the infants, the babies, as the powerless. Also describes them as the blind, the deaf, the lame, the dead, the sick. There are plenty of them around us. Plenty of them in our world. Plenty of them in our nation, our state, our county, our community. Plenty of them on our street. What does our faith in Jesus Christ, what does our gospel living have to say to them? It's a question for us to consider. Instead of worrying about what our, what our arguments have to say or what we have to label about the things we say, that we see around us, let's, let's set that game aside and let's start asking the question, what does Sellersburg United Methodist Church have to say to the powerless around us on our street those that can look out the window of their homes and see our church, what do we have to say to them? What does our church mean to them? What do they think happens in this building? What did they think we're all about? How have we impacted their lives? Have they experienced the gentle and humble donkey tractor riding King Jesus in us? Have they found rest for their souls? Have you? Have I? What if this living in the kingdom of God right here and now has very little to do with what you know? What if it has nothing to do with what we look like, 
or how we dress on a Sunday morning? What if it's not contingent on how we vote or even if we vote? What if it has nothing to do with who we marry or if we're divorced or if we're addicted or if we're hopeless or if we're helpless or if we're a convict or if we're a thug or if we're a sinner? What if living in the reign of God has nothing to do with any of that? In this strange time when everything around us becomes a point of argument, contention, brokenness, what if we, as the church, said we're not going to play that game anymore? Let's just lay down our accolades. Let's lay down our, our spiritual trophies. Let's lay down our religious weapons, along with the political ones, too. Lay them all down. And when you're thinking about this, when you're imagining what that might look like, I invite you to picture what it looks like for you. Don't picture what it might look like for your neighbor across the street who voted for the other person last time. Don't think about what it would be for that group of people whom you don't agree with. Just, let's just start with us. We're not going to move the world. We're not going to move our own. We're not going to move anyone else's if we don't start from a place of personal confession. When we start from a place of confession and move in that direction, of gentleness and humility, that's where God starts to work. So can we do that? Can we just lay the battle aside? And instead of looking for the best war horse, how about we find a way to get to work right here in our community, right here in our own lives? The burdened life of thinking we're supposed to measure up we're supposed to do everything right and be perfect, and anything we do wrong is somehow going to be held against us. Let's give up that way of life. That burden was never meant to be. Instead of measuring up, Jesus simply invites us to kneel down. So what if we kneel down and give it all to God and say, I don't need the game anymore. I just want you, Lord. Friends, this is your chance right here and right now, kneel down before God and confess all the pain that you have carried, the pain that has been inflicted upon you, and the pain that you have inflicted upon others. We can leave it aside and never look back. And in the name of Jesus Christ, just give your heart to God alone. God restores our souls and gives rest to those who come. God heals us from our brokenness and from our pride. God brings us into eternal life here and now that we might become children once again, that we can leave all other papers and labels behind, and through that we come to receive the unexpected grace and love of God. Like Jean Valjean, these precious divine gifts, they transform our entire lives until we cannot help but pour over with grace and love to anyone and everyone around us. And through that, people see the glory of God in us, through us. Come, my friends. Come to Jesus Christ in this way. Receive life.
and be prepared for the unexpected. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.